You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Come this morning, I want to, I'm, I'm so glad you're here, those that are here. I know we had a pretty good crowd last week and got about half this week. That's just how it is. It comes and goes. And it really, it really, uh, I, I, this thing about the catechism and uh, what Jed was talking about there, um, it's, it's interesting that uh, he mentioned the catechism this morning. It's interesting that he mentioned that our nation of the week was England this week. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll get into that. We're going to get into some more detail of that. It just, it just so happened. I love that scripture in the Bible where, and it just so happened. And whenever you see that, a miracle is fixing to go down. When it just so happened, something happened, and it wasn't just by chance. So I'm looking forward to that this morning. Um, uh, I'll get to that at the end. Okay, Luke uh, 11:13b. it says, How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? And I'm, it's, my intro is kind of, my message is kind of the, uh, it's kind of long. I don't have a ton of scripture for you this morning, but I want to talk to you about something that's very serious. And it's just become so clear to me this week. We had an amazing thing. I think most of you know, maybe you don't. But So Renetta's, uh, Renetta's father was in the military back in the 50s and, and had a son he was unaware of until just very recently. And then the, the guy contacted uh, my father-in-law here not too long back, about a year ago. And, and we've made a relationship with this man. His name's David wire and he was raised in England he was raised in a godless society and it was a very interesting uh, it's been very interesting to talk to this nice man who didn't want anything from anybody but to be loved by a father by an earthly father and um, and we've had a great time with him been here about a month and I've learned in in observing them talking to him about the gospel I presented the gospel to him my brother-in-law, Mark, Renetta's other brother, who's a pastor in Cookville, the, the good pastor down there, the, 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 like the real one, the one in Cookville, he presented the gospel multiple times in multiple ways. David's been very consistent in coming to church. And if I can give you a warning, this is the warning. This is the warning that occurred to me. I was talking to Renetta about it yesterday. So they came into this church yesterday, and then the two ladies did, his, his wife and this other friend that they had come visit. And they came in here, and they saw people be nice to one another, things like that. And so we got to be really careful in the church that it's not just the Knights of the Colum- not, you know, Knights of Columbus Hall. That was a big deal in Texas, maybe not here, a Catholic kind of thing. And then, uh, or uh, what, Mason Hall, or the, or the Elks. It's not a club. What's going on here is serious business it's not a club it's not just we're a bunch of nice people i think their perception of the church in england has become it's a bunch of nice people that get together and they do nice people stuff because we don't burn buildings down and we don't rob banks and we don't beat our women that you know of we, we just we just we just don't do that stuff and we're like nice people so if you want to come and you want to you know give cookies to one another and have a fun time then you then you come to church it's just a nice place kids are safe and that's not what it is. Man, this is a fortress of defense against a world that would see us destroyed. And I don't believe many of us have, as believers, grasped the importance of what it is that we're doing here with our children. 
So this catechism thing, it's a weird thing. I mean, who comes, it's just dumb. Catechism, what does it mean? What does it mean? It doesn't mean what you think it means. It's just a way of teaching through questions and answers. That's what it means. It's not a Christian thing necessarily. It is, but it's not. It's a way of teaching. I ask you a question, you got an answer. This is the right answer. It's always the same answer. It's the right answer. Two plus two equals four, Jed. Two plus two equals four. Yes, Daddy, two plus two equals four. What is two plus two equals, Jed? Two plus two equals four. That's catechism. I tell him. He tells me back until he knows when I ask the question, he knows the answer. And we've been using this New City Catechism for the last two years. Maybe we use it for the next five years. I don't know. Maybe we go to the Westminster and soup it up a notch. If you think this one's crazy, go to the Westminster. That's real. That's the real deal. That's solid stuff. But it's whatever we teach our children now is whatever they'll be thinking, even if they don't buy it 100%. It's what they will be thinking when they're older. That's the purpose of the catechism. Um, Christmas, Santa gifts, I mean, everything about December, everybody, I mean, how can you not like December? You know, Christmas parties, Christmas cookies, Christmas get-togethers, you know, the fancy costumes, the red plaid, and all that, the fun stuff, all that is good. We have done an excellent job in the United States of America of catechizing our children into loving Christmas, everything about it. We do it without thinking about it. We read them little Christmas books. We got little pictures of Santa. We put the elf on the shelf so they won't be bad. We put the little, we tell them about uh, he's watching Naughty and Nice and all that stuff to try to keep them from being little devils during the month of December as they look forward in anticipation to the return of Santa every year when he brings us the jazz. We take them to the mall and we show them Santa in person and we sit them on his lap and you tell them what you want and while we're listening on the side and we're writing it down, you know, I had no idea that my son wanted a Barbie. Shameful, but whatever. So, you, you, you know, you listen to what he wants, and then you're like, go and try to get it for him, right? Because you, you, you're building anticipation, you're building hope into your kid for this thing. It's not, it's not really true. Down the road, there's going to be some brokenheartedness when the kid's riding home on the bus. Well, they're all older kids, but anyway. Well, we won't tell it, but just in case there's one who believes. I'm not going to tell you, but there's going to be some brokenheartedness down the road when they find out that it ain't all you told them it was. But you catechize them. You train them that the answer to who brings the presents down the chimney is Santa. Who's the one that brings joy to children? Santa. How's he get around? You know, the, the what are them things? Reindeer and the sleigh. I just saw a reindeer. I was really, this is a, you want to talk about a rabbit? I just saw a reindeer. You know how dinky them things are? They're tiny. They're like this tall. That's why he has to have so many on a sleigh. You're not pulling that thing with a, just one reindeer. But the point is, it's, it's, it's fun, but you don't realize what you're doing is catechizing your child into something. It, it, you're doing it, and you're doing it because you love your children. That's why you do it. Because you like to see your children enjoy those things. I did too. We had Hansel McDonald dress up in a Santa Claus suit and come over to our house when the kids were little. It was fun. And we got to make fun of Hansel. I mean, it was great. He had a big pot belly. If you know him, he's pretty jolly, you know. It was a good time. To catechize our children into Christ, we should take these same steps and more. But for better reasons. We want our children to anticipate the return of Christ. We want them to have a hope in a future. We want them not to fear death. 
And we're so worried about being offensive to the world that we kind of tippy-toe around the catechism part, and this is critical for their survival. Matthew 19, look at Matthew 19, 11, or I'm sorry, Matthew 19, 13. It's crazy this morning how things happen. I came in, some reason the computer, my computer wouldn't work, his computer wouldn't work. Couldn't get the thing to print off. I didn't get to print off the other deal. I had to run back home. I didn't get to put my notes on here. So you're going to get the, the, the version that the Holy Spirit really wants you to hear, okay? Matthew 19, 13 through 15. The little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them, and Jesus said, Let the little children suffer not the little children come to me. What it says in the King James. Do not forbid them, for if such is the kingdom of heaven, he laid his hands on them and he departed from there. It's very important to the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords that the children be brought to him and that he bless them and that he make them his when they're young. It's important that you catechize your children. We should do it. We've got to help them see the knowledge of knowing Christ and making him known. We've got to be really careful that it doesn't become this Santa Claus thing where later on you pull the rug out from under them and they think, my parents told me all this stuff, but it's not true. But when I'm telling them of Christ, it's got to be true. I've got to know what the word is so I can tell them what the word is, so I can wash them daily in the word just like I would wash them when they come out, you know, come inside. Whitney was having trouble getting a little bit inside because she was having so much fun walking around. You let her walk around outside, she's going to get all dirty. She's going to play in the dirt. Then I've got to bring her in. We've got to wash her. We've got to wash our children daily in the Word. We've got to prepare them for a wicked and horrible world because they've got to stand up in it. Maybe this year at Christmas we can do a better job of, of bringing the catechism in, of Christ into the forefront of our families. Maybe laying aside some of that gluttony and materialism that we so, I mean, it's such a part of, of this holiday. And I'm not a dog. I mean, I'm, I'm pro-turkey. I'm pro-cranberry sauce. I'm pro-stuffing and giblet gravy. I'm, I'm pro all that stuff. I like it. Ham, man, throw it to it. But I'm telling you, if in the eating of the ham and the eating of the turkey we lose sight of Christ, we've, we've messed up bad. We've got to change the focus of Americans from, the, from the, the savior of the economy, Walmart, to the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We've lost, we've lost our swerve there. I'm, I'm, I'm really convinced that we're in a time of a remnant right now. And I don't know that everybody sees it that way because, like I've told you before, we live in a very, very safe and secure area here. Very Christianized. Very moral. Like you could tell people... If you saw somebody at Walmart stealing something, he would know he was doing wrong, you would know he was doing wrong, and the cops would know he was doing wrong, and they would arrest him for doing wrong. That's not true everywhere. It's true here. We would say that adultery is wrong here. We would say that murder is wrong here. We would say that abusing people or oppressing people is wrong here. It's not true everywhere. Don't confuse this area with the United States as a whole or the world as a whole. You're in such a blessed place in Tennessee. We have a really good godly governor. What a blessing. What a blessing. You can like his politics or not, but I'm telling you, he's a man of God. He calls the people of his state to fasting and praying for our country. 
you are completely and totally under the blessing of God when you have a man like that that's in leadership over you, in authority over you, whether you like his personal take on whether or not so-and-so should get food stamps or not. I'm telling you, if he's a man of God and he cares about the people, he wants the people's heart oriented towards God, man, revere that guy, pray for that guy. Thank God we have that guy. But we're in a remnant as far as in the United States goes, and know that your children won't necessarily stay here. You have the chance to mold them here, but they're going somewhere. That's what they do. They're kids. They're like cats. You can't keep them at the house. They go wherever they go, and they come back and bring you a dead mouse. You just don't know. You don't know what they're doing. Like, where'd you? The cat is all clean and beautiful. And bring some big dead rabbit and leave it on the porch. You're like, where'd you get that? I mean, that's your kids are going to go out in the world, and they're going to get what they get on them. And they're going to bring it back to you, and you're going to be like, how did you get this thing? How are you going to prepare their spirit to go into the world and do hand-to-hand combat with people that absolutely hate them? You saw what's happening in England. You saw the preacher man stand on the street preaching, and they're screaming in his face they want to kill him. They hate him. I told you a couple weeks ago about a guy that was preaching there, and he's standing on a cooler, and a guy just runs up behind him. Think about it. You're standing on a cooler, and you're preaching, and a guy kicks the cooler out from under him. And he falls on his back in the street. And they come and just assault him in a mob. That's, that's where you're going into, friends. We're in this remnant time. There's got to be a way to transfer the spirituality of the parent to the child. That's what we're called to do. Um, just talking about that, I mean, Jed about stole my thunder there, but he pulled it in right at the end there. But um, England, back in the day, this is where Charles Spurgeon comes from. 10,000 people every Sunday... 400 people every Sunday praying for the service. 400 people. 1,000 missionaries, 2,000 missionaries a year leaving his church, and yet 10,000 people every Sunday. Same church today, there's less than 2,000 people there. England's a big place. I think he told me 9 or 10 million people in that London whatever city there, right? Uh, George Mueller, England. Uh, The Wesley brothers, Charles and uh, John Wesley. Who? Yeah, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox, John Fox, uh, John Bunyan. That's all England, right? The the what you know of the gospel, what you know of church, as you know church, and the in a lot of the traditional things of church, what where it came, it, it's rooted in England. There, there are that's our father, that's our mother, whatever. America is of England, whether you like England or not. Whether they stepped on our toes back in the day, which they did, and rightly were booted out. But if they hadn't been, we'd be where they are right now. And there's still a chance. The remnant's still working here. The remnant in England, very small. Very small. The once places of honor towards the Lord have become museums of architecture and stained glass with no understanding of who the edifices were built for. Now they're mosques. A lot of the churches in England have been turned into mosques. Museums. Malls apartment buildings i read one where they were like oh this one apartment sold for all this money because it was up in the pointy part of the roof and there was a big stained glass window in it, and it rented for like ten thousand a month because it had this beautiful stained glass window in it. it was a stained glass window put there to honor god and a man moves in there and he's looking out the stained glass window thinking about what a nice apartment he has no thought of who god is or what god does or whatever and it's we're talking like a hundred years God's hand of blessing was on England, on Scotland, on I mean, the one area in Scotland there, it was so catechized, it was so Christianized, 
that within like five years, they didn't even have any police. They didn't have police because they didn't have any crime. Because everyone had accepted Christ and they were diligent in following Christ. And that's where you get old Alistair Begg and, and these guys coming out of there. They're coming out of those areas because of that, that catechism of fathers upon the children. Upon, and they became parents and they catechized their kids in the same thing. And they were shocked as parents if the other kids, if, you know, you were shocked as a grandparent if your child did not do that to your grandchildren. Did not catechize your children in the word. So is there a remnant today? Yes, it's really small. And it's really mocked and it's really persecuted. It's unlawful to do street preaching without going to someone beforehand, telling them what you're doing. The magistrates give you permission. Can't say certain things. Uh, David was telling us that you don't dare say anything against anything that would be considered sin. Or they'll, they'll throw you. They don't just beat you up. They throw you in jail. Hate speech and so on. It's coming. It's coming here. It's already being pushed as legislation to hate speech. But it's not too late. It's not too late for us here. It might be too late for anyone. Maybe it's too late. I don't know. It's not too late here. It's not too late right here because I see uh, three girls right here and I see Charles back there and I see other kids and we saw kids go along. We saw a bunch of kids last week, the strong girls, you know, Abby and Maggie, the, the Smith girls, the, the Bisbee kids, the Gonzo kids, you know, Henry. Well, they're here, CJ. They're here. We got time. But we've got to take the time in hand, like right now, and do something with it. It's not too late. They're hearing the word of salvation. They're hearing the message of repentance. They're hearing the warnings of the word of God. We just have to, uh, to work on that. The gospel allows for the long-term hope and happiness for any who would receive it. It reorients the person's mind as catechism or the preaching of the word, the hearing of the, the message. And, and one warning I give, I give people, and, and you're not going to like this warning, especially musical people don't like this warning. Be careful that all your doctrine doesn't come from Christian music, especially contemporary Christian music. A lot of it's kind of weak and somewhat shallow. It's good. It lifts the heart. Read the Word. Hear the Word. If you're going to listen to Christian music for two hours, listen to Christian preaching for two hours. You know, kind of balance it. But don't get all your doctrine from that because some of that doctrine's not quite right. It sounds good. It makes us feel good. But be careful get the word faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god hear the word the word of god work on that so we need to re, re, restore that in our teaching with our kids day by day it's such a great time this time of year is is they're already oriented towards the the crash and the the manger scene and the star and all that stuff there's so much more going on teach them the word from from day to day there and it's going to take more than five minutes a day to do what I'm telling you. And I want to tell you all that to tell you this. I'm going to tell you about Hanukkah. I'm not telling you go home, start celebrating Hanukkah. Believe it or not, Hanukkah started really early this year. Chahanukkah. It starts with a C-C-H. But I can't do the Hanukkah. Anyway, it uh, started on the 28th of November, very early. But it's tied to the date of Tabernacles, which fell early this year, too. Believe it or not, Hanukkah is mentioned in the Bible not called Hanukkah, it's called the Feast of Dedication. John chapter 10, verse 22. Did Jesus celebrate Hanukkah? And why would he? John 10, uh, 22. I can just read you a little short part there. Uh, now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. So like I said, I'm not necessarily saying you've got to go start lighting the candle every night and so on, but, but I wanted to tell you something about it. 
Most people know of Hanukkah probably pretty limited amount since we're not Jewish and we don't kind of repeat it to each other. But, but the part we generally know is that it was eight days of oil that lasted when there was only one day of oil that had been purified. So they got a menorah and they filled it with the oil and it lasted for eight days, more than just the one. They only had enough oil for one day and it lasted for eight days, if I can mess that up any worse. But it's much more Hanukkah is the culmination of something much greater than the celebration of Hanukkah. And I wanted to tell you about that because it's, this is, I want you to keep that word catechism in your mind. Judah Maccabee is the son of a guy, Medanayu, Matatayu Maccabee, quite the guy, the Maccabees. There's a book in the Apocrypha. We have it in the giant Bible here. You can get the Apocrypha. You can buy it from, uh, um, you can buy it from Amazon with just the Apocrypha, a little paperback book with, it's got the book of, of Enoch in there and the book of Daniel and the dragon and all these ones that we don't generally read in the Christian Bible, Protestant Bible, I should say. But it's very historical and it tells the history there. And then the Jewish sages have a lot of information about this time. So we think about this time is the time between Malachi and Matthew. So in that 400 years of silence, so-called, this is when this went down. The Syrians led by Antiochus Epiphanes have been brutally hard on the Israelites in Jerusalem. They've taken over Jerusalem. A lot of stuff going on there. Um, and how it all begins, basically, is this family, the Maccabees, that's their, that's their family. There's five brothers, there's the father, and there's a sister. And if I'd, have, if I'd have known this story better when my kids were little, I'd have named my kids after these people, and you should consider that as well. They're great people. So Judas, Judah, He's in a town. There's this group of people called the Hellenized Jews. These were Jews that believed like the Greeks believed, and they had a real, they would just bow the knee to anything and everything just to make it easy on themselves. They were Jewish in name only, just like we have Christians in name only, they were Jewish in name only. One of these Maccabean guys, or one of these uh, Syrian guys comes to town. He says, build an altar in this town, and I want you to make a sacrifice and say that Antiochus Epiphanes is God. One of the main Jewish leaders of the day, of the town, well-known, he goes and he makes a sacrifice. And Judas sees it, and he's had enough of that jazz. He goes and kills him, kills the guards that are guarding the leader, and kills the, the, the Syrian leader as well. And then he has to go hide in the woods. His sister, Hannah, or Chana, C-H-A-N-A-H, um, is going to get married. She's a virgin of Israel. If you read the Bible, I was telling you a while back, we need to do something on that because how important it is for the, for the young women to remain virgins until their wedding night and how God blesses that and the purity principle and how honored they were, the virgins of Israel. She's a virgin of Israel. And so what these Assyrians were doing, these Syrians were doing, is they would make those girls stay with the governor on the first night of their wedding night and then they could go to their husband. Hannah here, Chana here, is uh, she got a different spirit. She's a Maccabee. And she tells her brothers, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up here, and we're going to kill the governor. And then I won't be sleeping with them. And so she talks her brothers into going up there, and they kill this Syrian governor. And therefore, she's with her husband. Then she has seven sons. And we'll get to that story in a second. And so every one of these people, these brothers, ultimately, and, and her and her sons, are eventually killed by the Assyrians. But before they do, 
they make such a stand in Israel that Israel is able to push back the Syrians and restore a proper sacrifice in the temple. The ultimate thing that happens is when Antiochus Epiphanes goes to the main temple in Jerusalem and sacrifices a pig on the altar. And the Bible tells us that when you say that day, the abomination of desolation, when you see that day, know that your redemption draweth nigh. It's tied to that. What happens after that? Well, Jesus shows up. It's in, it's in Revelations as well. Okay. So, all these people, how are they so bold to stand up to an oppressive nation that's come in their midst? And what's even worse is these Hellenized Jews that were actually, they were like, uh, they were like co-conspirators with the Nazis. You know, we're all from Crossville. We're all going to the same church. And half of us, every time we meet together, run and tell the local police that they're meeting together. And then the police come and arrest us and kill us. That's what's going on. These are your brothers and sisters, but they, they wanted so much to be a part of the world and to not be persecuted themselves that they would turn in their brothers and sisters, their parents and their neighbors, so that they could live in peace. Even though they were completely taken advantage of financially and pushed around and killed for no reason, their women were ravaged, they would rather have that and live than be bold and stand up to what was wrong. And this family, the Maccabees, they decided long before that no matter what, they would not bow the knee to anyone but the Most High God. It was who they were as a people, as a family, because of their father. Judas gets killed, and his father takes the role for a time, and then the other brothers, as they gain age, they begin to take on the role of these warriors that lead Israel. And, uh, and all their children were truly and properly catechized into the fact that there is a one true God, and we follow him and him alone. We will not bow the knee to man no matter who the man is. Uh, so it was completely reasonable for Jesus to go to Jerusalem during this honorable feast. That's what you did. You went there and you celebrated this with the lighting of the menorah. And it was a big, it was a big deal because at this time, Rome is oppressing them. But in their minds, they're free. They have that spirit of Judas Maccabee in them. And they're going there and I, I wanted to read this to you. I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit more to you. I'm going to read this kind of story to you. So Ju Jesus is in their midst. He's there during this feast. It says, He walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. You're Hellenized Jews. You're, we're not on the same team. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus is God. Jesus has the authority of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Whoever the Father gives to him, he keeps. No one can snatch you, Parker, out of God's hand. No one. Baylor, Taylor, or uh, Titus, sorry, Baylor, Titus, Annabelle. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. Do you tell your kids that? Just like I've told you before, when you're dragging them across the parking lot at Walmart and they're throwing a fit and flopping around on the ground and you put the monkey grip on their hand and you, don't, you drag them over there and beat the fire of them on the sidewalk. You do that because of this verse right here because no one 
so you can tell them, you know, just like mom had to beat you in the parking lot, it's because no one can snatch you out of my hand. But my father, who is greater than me, you can't snatch him out of your, you can't even snatch yourself out of his hand. If you have accepted Christ and you're following him with all that you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, I don't care what you do, I don't care how you fail, you can't even snatch yourself. You're a someone. It says no one. And you're a someone. You're at least an anyone. You can't even snatch yourself out of, out of God's hand. You're in there. You're trying to pull away. And he's like, he's got you. You're not getting out of there. You can't pull yourself out of his hand. And Jesus is telling them that. And these people, instead of rejoicing in that, are like, you can't tell us that. They are so godless. That man was preaching on the street and telling those people, God loves you. If you continue to kick against the goats, he's going to destroy you. Why don't you bow the knee now? And they're like, we hate you and we want to kill you. It's, it's, never cha it's not changed. How do you get your children to understand how important it is that they know who God is, that they know that they can't pull themselves out of his hand, and that they need to follow him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus is sifting out those, just like Judas did. That's what Judah Maccabee did. He sifted out the Hellenized Jews. He sifted them out. He's like, if you're going to be with them, I'll kill you just like I'll kill the Syrians. I mean, it would be a lot easier in our country today if we could just, I mean, the, the, the issue is, let me put it this way. I'm in the Persian Gulf back in the day, right? In case you don't know, everybody there is brown. Who's a Muslim? Who's on our side? Who's not? This is a problem in Afghanistan. They all look the same. They say that about us. So it's no big deal. They all look the same. In the United States of America, we all look the same. We don't know who's the good guy. We don't know who's the hell in us. You like that one? Huh. You're not supposed to say that all people of one race look the same, whatever. But it's true. The Peruvians said that about me and Scott White. It's like me and Jed standing here together. Dark hair. He's got a beard. I have a kind of facial hair. He had glasses. A little bit of thin spot on top. He's about this tall. And every Peruvian there is like, oh, you guys brothers, you guys look exactly the same. Like, I don't look like that guy. He's 15 years older than me, you know. Well, 10 years older. But it, it's hard for us to discern who's who until they open their mouth. If you're, you're either for God or you're not. And Judas is like, if you're not for God, then you're an enemy of mine. Jesus right here tells them the same thing. If you're not one of my sheep, then you're an enemy of mine. We got to get we got to get our kids on the same side as Christ. We got to. We would be cruel fathers to not do that. How much more? It says even an evil father there in that Luke eleven verse. Even an evil father knows how to give good gifts to his children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek Him a great gift? Don't you care about your children? If you care, then you need to catechize them. Uh, Judas and, uh, let's see where we're at there. I and the Father one. So Jesus is sifting out those that are not true to the Most High God. Those who were weak and fearful when it came to oppressive rulers telling them to bow the knee to Caesar. Uh, they, were, they were, or not Caesar really, but Antiochus, to the Greeks. They, they were doing that because they wanted to have a peaceful life now. Like Joel Osteen says, your best life now. If this is the best life I can get, then, man, I botched it. This ain't that great. It's okay. It could be worse. I could be in Afghanistan right now. That'd be worse. But this is not the best life now. The best life is to come 
build the anticipation and hope for the life to come because that's the best life. Mr. Judas Maccabee would rather have given his own life in battle, which he did, uh, along with his brothers, all of his brothers, you know, every one of them, man, it was horrible how these poor guys died, rather than shame the name of God, rather than go against the Torah. Um, let me tell you about these guys. So the father, so Judah was killed about three years after this, after he, he got in and they did the temple thing, they killed him. Then his father took over for a time and killed him. His one brother, I like this guy, Eleazar, A-E-L-A-Z-A-R. So they had these things called a war elephant. It just sounds awesome. I mean, they didn't have A-1 tanks, but they had war elephants. And Assyrian commanders on top of the war elephant. And I saw a drawing of it. And it might have been disproportionate because this elephant was a monster. And this guy comes up to like the elephant's armpit, right? He goes up there and spears the elephant to death. Kills the Syrian commander. But in the process, the elephant falls on Eleazar and he dies. But it was worth it. Because he was doing it for the one true God. And he was doing it to, to uh, uh, defend the, the afflicted from the oppressor. I noticed that God's word tells me to do that. Even in the New Testament. It's one of the things as believers that we're to do is to protect the afflicted from the oppressor. Eleazar, pretty studly fella. Uh, next guy, Shimon. Same word as Simon. He, he was killed by his son-in-law uh, over uh, his son-in-law was a Hellenized guy. And he just didn't like that this guy was holding to the law. His own son-in-law kills him at a, at a family you know, Christmas party or whatever. But I like this guy, Yohanan. He stands up to this guy named General Nicanor. N-I-K-A-N-O-R. So Nicanor comes to town, tells him this is what they're going to do. And this guy, by hook and by crook, gets a meeting with him. He says, look, if you'll meet with me personally, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll make this sacrifice. Because he's working in the temple, Yohanan is. And so he goes there to General Nicanor and gets the other guy's side and then, and then swords him to death and then kills a bunch of his guard, and then takes on a whole bunch of them with not that many guys, and uh, they get another period of peace from, from Syria. Eventually, he's taken and killed. Then a guy named Jonathan, Jonathan, he takes the reins after Judah's death, and eventually he's taken hostage, and they try to hold his life over Shimon's life, and Shimon's like, do what you got to do to him. We're not, we're not bowing the knee. And so they kill him. His own brother had to tell him, we're not going to bow the knee. Do what you will to us. We're not going to bow the knee. But this woman is who I really wanted to tell you about today. This is about catechism and, and training of your children. And we don't think that this could ever happen, but it happens. If you read about the days before the Iron Curtain, it does happen. Judah's sister, Hannah. So she had seven sons, and of course we, we know what happened to the governor earlier. She has seven sons, and eventually they get captured, and it's time for payback. For, for their efforts against the uh, Syrians. And they get in front of Antiochus himself. And he takes the oldest son and he cuts his tongue out, cuts his hands and feet off, and he tortures him to death in front of his mother and the other uh, six brothers. And he says, if you'll just relent and say that I am king of kings and that I am God, I won't do this to any more of them. And the next one gets up there and says, you can do whatever you want to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is the God that I follow. They, they do the same thing to him, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, down to the youngest son, young boy. And the mother asks, 
if she can speak to the boy because all the all the people even the people on the court there are watching this and they're so ashamed and so hum so just so shocked that this antiochus his name actually they changed his name in a mocking way from epiphanes to epiphanes epiphanes sorry and it meant madman because he was so crazy in in his rulering and how evil he was and so he's like sure talk to him convince him and these other people are begging her please please convince just tell him bow the knee and it'll all stop and you'll have one son left and i want to read you what she told him it says she whispered in her youngest son's ear before his torture and death she said my son i carried you in my body for nine months i nursed you for two years and i have fed you until today i've taught you to fear god and uphold his torah see the heaven and the earth the sea and the land fire water and wind and every other creation know that they were all created by god's word he created man to serve him and he will reward man for his deeds the king knows he is condemned before god he thinks that if he convinces you god will have mercy on him god controls your life's breath and can take your soul whenever he desires if only i could see the greatness of your glorious place where we would be illumined with god's light and rejoice and exult together then it says shauna turned to the king returned to the king saying i was unable to prevail upon him and her son her young son less than 10 it says he tortured him worse than any of the others and eventually the lady um, it says she jumped off a building after that and uh, um, killed herself what kind of faith does it take for a person to be that loyal to God it's more than we have I'm I, I think in most cases it's more than we've trained into our children I believe because when it comes down to it and they're holding the knife at your neck do you say well to live another day I would I, I could do that I mean God will forgive me right if I bow this plant you got to bow to this plant tell this plant that it's God if I have to do that but I get to live for another day I, I could do God I mean God will forgive me right if I confess my sins he's faithful and just he'll forgive me right but these people had a faith in God most high that was greater than I fear many of us do and as times get hard I'm afraid we 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 would bow the knee rather than remain loyal to the one true God to the one who saved us a person that's founded on the Word of God and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven that person will hang in there when it gets that bad we don't think it could get that bad but it's gotten that bad in other places and all I'm saying is I, I pray that it doesn't in our lifetime or our children's lifetime but I'm saying your children us we need to be as stable in the Word of God as any person that ever lived we got to be these people these Maccabees in my opinion are to be honored and that they would not give quarter in any way to this corrupt and evil king in this next month we're just going to see more and more as as you go about living your life and you're you're doing your holiday shopping and you're and you're buying groceries and you're you know there's just a it's just that time of year when people are more open to whatever positive things towards god right i mean it's okay but but you're just supposed to say happy holidays maybe or hope you have a good holiday something like that and we're really fearful of saying Merry Christmas or something like that. But this time of year, you can almost get away with it, right? And in that, I, I pray that you take the boldness to say that and take them from there into the gospel. 
because so many times we get this, this view in, in culture, the reason culture has gotten away from us, the reason culture got away from England was because they were just a bunch of good people just working and doing their thing. And they quit catechizing their children. And then the evil one came in and he worked either through school systems or however they work, man, socialism, however it works, and gets people confused in their thinking. And it gets the young people to think more like the evil one than like God. And it doesn't take but a generation or two and they're gone. And we're going to be in the same spot if we don't do better. We've got to catechize our children like these people did with the Maccabees, these Maccabees did. Where the woman, I mean, you got a chance to preserve your child's life, Baylor's life, Annabelle's life, and you say, whatever you do, I'll see you on the other side. We'll be in heaven together. Do not bow the knee to this man, whatever he does to you. I don't care if he starts by clipping your pinky fingernail. Do not bow, no matter what he does, do not bow the knee to this man because he's a man and he's not God. What is it going to take in us to be that brave and to speak that bravely with our children so that our children have that same boldness to stand up to the oppressor? Um, so as you go around and you're, you're giving them the truth of the gospel, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you this story. Um, well, the gospel, we know what the gospel is. I hope you know what the gospel is if you've been any time, but I'll repeat it for you because many people get confused on the gospel thing as with the, the Jesus coming, he's in the manger, and it's a sweet picture of the king of the universe coming and then being born in a lowly stable and the Virgin Mary and, and Joseph and the animals and all those things. I mean, it is beautiful. And in our mind's imagination, it's a little different than reality. But that's, the, the gospel is not the baby in the manger. The gospel is God himself came in the form of a man to earth and he lived a sinless life, a perfect life. And in that life, he completely dedicated himself to the men of earth as he told them about the kingdom that was to be on earth exactly like it was in heaven. And men hated him for that. And so they took him and they martyred him to death on the cross and they killed him. And even in that, he took all of the sins of all the men who martyred him all the way till today, the worst things that you've ever done and thought and acted upon in your life plus everyone else in the world, he took 100% of that upon himself and, the, and he put it on himself in our place and the wrath of God was poured out upon him and God turned his face from his own self, his own son, right? And he took his life. And he was put in the grave, dead. And he laid there for three days. And on the third day, he rose again, proving that he has power over death, the first death. And it says he was ascended into heaven and sits today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. We have to know that Christ to be saved. We have to know that Christ. The one that came, lived sinless, died guiltless in our place under God's wrath and rose again and sits and makes intercession for you. Let me give you another picture. Here's a picture for you if you don't quite grasp that. This is a true story of a man. He, he got picked up for murder he's in court the guy he gets for a lawyer is just fresh out of school really cares about the guy um, really care you know he's really gonna go the extra mile works hard and he's gonna talk to the jury this you know all the stuff's against the murderer guy but he's gonna talk to the jury and he really makes a nice case for having mercy on this guy who committed murder and he talks to the jury and he's like look at their family over here they're God-fearing people guy made a mistake it was more of an accident than anything and um, and in that uh, the jury comes back with a verdict of not guilty. 
And the lawyer talks to the man and says, look, I'm a believer, and God has shown great mercy on you in this, and you have another chance to live your life and to do good. Go and sin no more. Not very many years later, the man was back in court on a charge of murder. Same guy. Now the guy that was the attorney is a judge. Hearing the case, his name was Canfield is the name of the judge. Same guy standing there. And the jury goes and comes back with a guilty verdict. And the man standing before the judge, and the judge says, when you came before me the first time, I was your mediator. I went before you before the judge, and I spoke the language that the judge could understand. And he had mercy on you because of what I told him. But you did not accept my mercy. You did not accept his mercy, and you lived the life you wanted to live. And now as a judge, the only thing I can do is convict you of murder and for you to be put to death and hung by the hung by the neck until dead. That's the gospel. The gospel is, is that the mediator has come and he's given us direction to live. You must put yourself under his care. He has the ability to free you from all sin and from all judgment in the future. But there's going to come a day when you're going to die like a dog. We all do. And you're going to have to stand before the judge and the judge of the universe is going to say to you, what, why should I allow you into my heaven? Because neither liars, nor fornicators, nor thieves, nor adulterers, nor dit, 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 are allowed into heaven. Why should I allow you into my heaven? And you got one answer. you got one hope. And that is that I know the mediator. The lawyer went before me before, and I have his blood on me. He took my sin on himself so I could stand before you today in, um, in mercy. And God says, enter in. And that's all you got. That's your only hope right there. If your hope is on anything greater than that, about what a good person you are, how nice you look, or how nice you smell, or how nice you dress, if it's on any other thing, you're out of luck. You're, the sentence is going to be guilty. So without the, the birth of the Son of God in that manger on that day, there's no hope for any of us. Um, the manger is sweet to imagine, but if it ends at the manger, it doesn't do anything for us. All of God's word is true, and it's right. And we need to place ourselves under Christ's mercy there. The only thing the manger is, is the birthplace of God on earth. And that's a great thing. So be a good father this year. Be a good mother this year. The whole year. Catechize your children daily. So that they can be those... Man, I, that thing that Lenine said, you know, he heard from the pastor, you know, who's going to be the music leaders? Who's going to be the preachers? Who's going to be the evangelists? Who's going to be the hospitable mothers? Who's going to be the older ladies that train the younger ladies in the church? Who's going to be the humble younger ladies that are going to hear the older ladies? Because that's what God tells us to do. Who are going to be those people? Be those people. We can be those people. Be those people. Take every moment captive. We should use the word catechize every moment. Training your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. As they get up, as they go by the way, as they, as they lay down at night, when we eat together, catechize them, catechize them, making disciples of all nations. Begin with your home and disciple your nation. This morning, I, I do want to give us an opportunity. We're going to have the Lord's Supper together, and, and it's going to be really a good time, I believe, as we recognize all that Christ has done for us. I, um, 
I uh, know that as the new year starts, we want to have this opportunity to, um, to train young people here. We need to do a better job on that. I think we've not done the very best on that. We're doing better. We can do better still. And I want to encourage you to bring your kids a little bit early, about 920. Adults, man, we'll come together. We'll pray together. We can read the word together. Meanwhile, we have some men that are willing to, to help you catechize your children. They'll read to them the word. They're going to tell them the story of salvation. They're going to tell them the story of God. They're going to tell them the story of creation. They're going to tell them the different, the different um, pictures in the Bible that point them to Christ down the road. And you need to bring your kids. Use the help you got. It's your job in your home to train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But us, as, as ministers of the gospel here, it's our job to help you. We're willing to help you. You've got to bring them. You don't bring them, we can't help you. But, but be consistent in bringing your kids to that and having them hear the word. I don't think we're going to really do much until after the first of the year, and then we're going to really try and tune that up and get that going. So I hope you'll, you'll bring your kids and be a part of that. And uh, I think we're going to try and do it in two groups where we don't have such little kids in with the bigger kids. So we're going to try and have two groups there. And um, so I pray that you'll consider doing that, bringing your kids for that. Be consistent in catechizing your kids. You know, we, Jimmy was telling me about he went to a ball game and we're watching these parents just screaming at the referees and, and, um, and yelling at the kids and yelling at other kids, yelling at other parents. Even in that, you're catechizing your kids. That's what you're training them in. You're saying this is the way we relate to other adults. That's why the culture's falling apart. Be careful how you speak. Be careful how you act. Be careful what you do. Father, this morning, we are grateful for your word. And I pray that the word you gave us this morning is the word that you had for us. I pray that it wasn't distorted, that it was clear. I pray now that if there be any here that have no assurance that if they stood before you as the ultimate judge, that they would be free eternally. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. If there be one, Lord, that's heard the word today and it's, and it's pricked his heart, and he fears for his life because he knows at some point, he remembers in his mind right now all the wickedness that he's done in this life, the words that he's said, the thoughts that he's had, the things that he's done. Lord, I pray that now, in this moment, that he could find mercy before you, Lord, that he would repent of those sins and he would turn from his wickedness, Lord, and he would ask for your mercy to be poured out upon him. He would recognize that Jesus the Messiah is the one that came and died in his place. He would confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead and that man could be saved, that woman could be saved today, Lord. Have mercy on us now, a bunch of sinners, Lord. We're trying to do your will and your ministry, Lord. Direct us in that. Direct us as we teach our children, Lord. It's difficult. The world is working in every way against us and we're trying to make the right decisions and we're trying to make the right um, call day by day and every little decision knowing that we could have the ability to point our children to you or away from you. And in that, Lord, I pray for your mercy. I pray for your wisdom on this fellowship, Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit on each individual here, that they would hear your word, and it would sink down in their heart, convict their spirit, and they would go away happy. Father, have mercy on us. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I pray that today is a day of salvation for someone. I pray for our fellowship. I pray for our county. I pray for our state and our nation. I pray that you would you would uh, relent for one more day. Thank you for your long-suffering, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk to me after church or, or whatever, I'd love to talk to you about the opportunity to receive Christ today. Um, men, uh, deacons, if you would go and prepare for the service. And... Uh,
Jed, if you bring the the musicians of Korah up. <laughs> 